Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. How are all my lovely, blessed, and highly favored people doing today? I hope you're all doing well. I hope you all had a blessed week. And I'm doing fine, thank you for asking. Because I know, although I can't hear you, I know a lot of you were saying, Oh, I'm good, Kay. How are you? So I'd like you to know I'm also well. So here we are. On the last Sunday in the month of March, the last Sunday in Women's History Month, right? And to me, it seems like March was here for a very long time. I don't know how it felt to you guys, but this month felt really, really long. And it's not even over yet. We still have another week. But it seems like we were in March. Every time I turned around and it seemed like I was writing the date, it was March. It was March all the time. And it could be because February was a short month or because the clocks went forward. But then if the clocks went forward, you would think that the month would have went quicker, right? I don't know. All I know is it felt like it was really long. Well, it still feels like it's long because it's still here. But... 
with all that, I have a topic today that I believe is so fitting for the final Sunday in Women's History Month. I hope you all agree. Today, we're going to talk about the role of a woman. Now, I know when I say that, controversy. Controversy, because everybody has their own definition. And I'm sure if I were to ask you, everybody has their own definition of what a woman is. And I would get a thousand answers as to what a woman is. Because in today's society, that's what everyone wants you to believe. Everyone wants you to believe that the definition of a woman is so complex and so it's just so multifaceted. Not saying that we're not multifaceted. That's not what I'm saying. Yes, there are various levels of being a woman, but that's an individual thing because some women are very simple, but then some women can be very complex. But I want to give you the definition of what God said a woman is. And the Lord gave me this message months ago. He wanted me to define the roles of a man, the roles of a woman, and the roles of a child. But I wasn't quite able to put it together in the correct perspective, or at least I thought that I wasn't able to until now. And as I stayed, as I have said several times, that God will give you something, he'll give you the pieces of the puzzle. Then you have to figure out where they go and when they fit into the overall picture. So I had a conversation. Let me give you a little backstory as to why this came about now. I had a conversation with a day, a friend of mine who made a comment that women just want to be men. They don't want to, they don't want to be who they were supposed to be. Then I had another conversation with another friend of mine who stated almost the same thing. He didn't say it exactly in that way, but it was more so of the thing of, um, more so like women not knowing, you know, their place or women not doing what they should be. It's hard to, it's hard to exactly say where they were going with it, but the overall gist of it was because the words they were saying, I'm sure wasn't exactly what they wanted to say, but they were trying to just pinpoint it. And it more so had to do with women not doing what they should be doing. And so I figured it was time that I took advantage of this opportunity to define what being a woman meant to the both of them or to the other ones as well. And it allowed me to give my friend my thoughts on the statement that he made and how women would react to it. And then he also told me about some other comments that, you know, because when guys are in a barbershop, you know, they have conversations. And he was telling me just some of the thoughts that the, you know, different men had. Now, I want you to keep in mind that these thoughts and views come from men of various walks of life and various age groups. And I also want to point out that it's not a blanket statement about how men feel, but it's just information that I gathered from having several different conversations with different men. I also would like you to keep in mind 
that most of what we believe comes from our own life experiences, sprinkled with a little bit of the word. And when I say sprinkled with a little bit of the word, I mean that the world has a way of putting God's word into situations when it best suits the point that it's trying to make. So today I'm going to give you, as it was written, and not by what we want to believe, but how it should have been from the beginning. Today we're going to discuss the role of a woman as defined by God when he created her. Today's topic is the woman named Eve, the spirit of a helpmate. Now, if we truly want to understand the interactions of a man and a woman, or just people in general, we have to first understand ourselves. Because truthfully speaking, how could you interact with another another individual if you don't A, know who you are and the position that you hold, and B, don't know how to, to discern or have not been given the correct definition of the person that you're interacting with. So think about this for a moment. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and when it was over, you were asking yourself, what was that about? Or who was I just speaking to? I don't even know that person. And not saying that you don't know that person because you obviously knew them. You were having a conversation with them. But after the conversation was over, you were like, I don't know who that person was that I was talking to. And it could have been your brother, your sister, your mother. It could have been your own child. It's it's like when Jesus said to Peter, get me behind, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus knew that Peter wasn't Satan, but the words coming out of Peter's mouth at that time were totally of the devil. And most of the misunderstandings that take place between individuals stem from the not knowing. And I'm not just talking about the subject, but talking about when you're broaching that subject with that individual, you not knowing that individual when you're discussing it. So let's define what it means to be a helpmate. Now, Oxford defines helpmate as one who is a companion or helper, especially a wife. So now to fully understand, we have to go back to the beginning. And I know most people want to start from the point of where they're at, but to truly understand what it means to be a helpmate, we have to start from the beginning, from when God first put it into play. And for this, we're going to go to Genesis. And we're going to start with the first, we're going to start the first verse I want to talk about is going to be Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And as usual, the King James, new King James version I'm reading from, unless I implicate that it's something else. So Genesis 2, 18 and the Lord said, it's not good from it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, I like the way the Amplified puts it. The Amplified says, now the Lord said, it is not good, beneficial for the man to be alone. 
I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. Now, that gives a total understanding of what God was thinking about when he created this woman for Adam. And now we're going to jump. I'm going to be jumping through Genesis chapter two, but basically I'm going to be in between 16 and 23. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this was the instructions given about the tree of good and evil, which was planted in the middle of the of the Garden of Eden. And then from there, you know, God went to creating every beast, all the birds. He had Adam name them all. He took them to Adam and told him he had to name them. And when Adam was naming them all, God saw that everyone had a partner, but Adam There was no one there for him. So in verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And blessed is the reading of of God's word. So here we see God created woman from the bone of a man. So when you think about it, it makes sense as to why we are so interconnected when it comes to men and women and how we are so similar in our thoughts and actions. And when I say that, most women or men would be like, no, I don't think like a woman or no, I don't think like a man. I'm not talking about your everyday thinking, the way your mind works, because we all have our own minds. God made us as individuals, yes. But if you think about simplistically, simplistically, our interactions, we are similar in a lot of ways. And if you think about it, now I'm not going into Adam today, but a good point that before God created a woman and gave her to Adam, he gave Adam work to do. So just keep that in mind, but I'll get into that more when I talk about the man. But it wasn't like God just gave Adam a woman because, oh, he's by himself. No, he had given him a job to do. And then God saw, oh, okay, yeah, he's by himself. You know, let me make him a companion. So as I was saying, God created the woman to be the helpmate. And that was to balance Adam in what he was doing. Because if you think about it, we were created because we capable of thinking and assisting him. And that meant with everything that he had to do that God had given him to do. So if you figure here you are created out of the bone of an God created Adam, out of that 
speak out of that figure who was made in his image, he takes a part of it and creates another image. So there's no way that you can't be connected to this man because you were made from his rib. So now we're going to go down Genesis three. And this is where, this is where things go awry because everything in the garden was great until it wasn't. Genesis three, one to four. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees, which of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent approached Eve talking to her, telling her what God's intention truly was for her life. So here we see where we can easily fall into the same trap. Because now when you think about it, I'm sure all of you have heard this being preached that it was the beginning of temptation, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Yes, all those things are visible, but I'm going to look at this scripture and take it a step further and we're going to discuss what the Bible doesn't say was going on in this picture. And I think when we when we look at when we look at it from that aspect, we can understand why the dynamics take place the way they take place today. Now, God had given Adam the command of the tree before he created Eve. So we know that Adam knew what the situation was with the tree of good and evil. He wasn't supposed to eat it. And we know for a fact that he told Eve about the tree because not only did she tell the serpent what she was told about the tree, but she added her extra thoughts in concerning the tree. Now, doesn't that sound like a human reaction? Think about it. When you're told something, you're told something. And then when you think about it in your mind, you always come up with your own scenarios. Like somebody will tell you the stove is hot or the, let me see a good scenario. Uh, you're cooking something and they'll say, oh, it'll be ready in five minutes. But you're in the kitchen and you might be hungry and you're going to go, although you heard it's going to be ready in five minutes, you're going to go to the pot. You're going to look at it. You're going to stir it. You might even taste it. You might even say, you know what? It's going to take five minutes, but I want to eat now. Let me turn it up a little bit. All this from dinner is going to be ready in five minutes. So if you think about that as the way humans react to things when they're told, Eve was told that you shouldn't eat from that tree or you're going to die. So she took it a step further in her mind. Now, this is me taking it, not what they said, but me just thinking human nature. She took it in her mind. In order not to eat the fruit, I can't touch the fruit. So to her, don't touch it and you won't eat it. So when she said to the serpent that God said that you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat it or touch it because that's in her mind how she was going to remember not to eat it. Don't even touch the fruit. So then you don't have to worry about eating it. 
And that's much, and I say that because if you think about women's minds today, that's something like the way women think when when we are given something. Okay, so, and I'm going to say this to say, this is why I believe God made us to be the companion to Adam. Because men, and I'm not using this out of blanket statement, so I don't want everybody to get up in arms of, oh, Kay said, blah, blah, blah. Let's just think about this with an open mind. Men, most of the time, they think one-dimensional. Their whole thinking is, I just want to get this done. Think about it. Any of you who've had boyfriends, husbands, you want to go shopping. You know, when we go shopping as women, we go in, we know what we want, but we go in and we're looking at different things. Although we know what we want, there's other things in the store that, oh, let me look at that as well because I may want that also. It's no big deal for us to think like that as a woman. Even if we're rushing into the store and we only have limited time, we're still going to stop and look at something and be like, oh, I'll come back for that. A man, when they go into a store, they know exactly what they want. They're going exactly to that section. They're picking it up. They're online. They're paying for it. They're out. They might look at something else on the way out if it catches their eye, if they were thinking about that later on, maybe. But they're not the type that's going to be, oh, let me just go browsing around in the store. Very rarely you'll see men that's like, oh, let's just go browsing around in the store. No. So I say that to say God created the woman because with men's one dimensional thinking, he knew that we would be able to add a little bit extra to it. Like, well, all right, you can see it that way. But what about this way? And there was nothing wrong with that if it was going to help him in what he needed to do. The problem is when the serpent came into the picture, he changed all that when he was talking to her and she went and ate of the fruit. So when she ate of the fruit and gave it to her husband and he then ate, then that opened up the whole can of worms of why everything got distorted. So from that point, that's when, as time went on, men started to objectify women and then women started to push back. Because if you think about it, the women's movement Everybody wants to say that the women's movement started in the 60s and the 70s with um, Gloria Steinem and the feminist movement and the burning of the bras and this, that and the other. But when you think about it, it started way, way before then. It started back with the suffragettes. Those women that were protesting because they wanted the right to vote. It started there. Those women were tired of being shut up pushed to the side, not being able to have a say in the life that they were living under the government in the country that at which in which they were a part of. And all that came from men thinking that women shouldn't have a say in anything, that men were the ones, they were the boy. And see, this is where this is where everything gets distorted from the word. Because Men wanted to use the word in the sense to say that women should be submitted to their husbands. 
Yes, the word says submit, but it doesn't just say women to women, wives to their husbands. It's submit to one another, each on equal balance. Because when God created us, he created us on equal balance. Yes, the man was supposed to be the head, meaning when you take the word head and say the man is the head of the household, not that, oh, he's the boss of the household, he's the boss. No, that head meant that when he was getting direction from God, because he was supposed to be talking to God, because God talked to Adam every day in the cool of the garden before the serpent intervened with the whole making Eve eat the apple, we won't say apple, eat the fruit, because we don't know what it was. But man... God was communing with God on a daily basis. So, of course, God was going to go to Adam first. That's who he created first. So that's who he was going to give the directions to. And then Adam then was supposed to give it to Eve. So when they said the man is the head, it was the head because he was following God. That was the connection for the family to be connected back to God, to get the word of what God said, because God is the head of all things. Of all things. So when men took it upon themselves to say, oh, women have to be, you know, barefoot and pregnant or you, you can't work or you can't do this. Or you can't, they distorted everything that was originally given, originally put in place for what women were supposed to be. So this whole feminist movement and men thinking that women don't know their role and they want to be men and. No, women don't want to be men. Trust and believe. We don't want to be men. We want you to do what you're supposed to do, and we want to do what we're supposed to do. But that doesn't mean that we're not equal when it comes to making decisions, understanding situations, and seeing it after you see what, if you're following God, and see, that's where all the confusion comes in because a lot of the households now are not following God. They're not following God. So where women, where men feel that women want to be men and they can do whatever men can do technically, technically, yeah, mentally they can. Physically, no, because of course you are going to be stronger than we are because of the way your body is made. But mentally, doesn't mean that a woman can't think like you think or come up with ideas the way you come up with ideas. You have to remember, we were created out of you. So the mind that's in you is the mind that's in us. So we don't want to, we don't think we're better than we think we're equal and not equal to the point where I want to fight you to be equal, but just respect me as being equal. And one thing I will say, and the respect part, and I shouldn't even say the respect part because the respect part more so goes into the man. The men need the respect. The women need the love. So if men were to love women like they were equal, women would respect men like they were equal. But you can't expect someone to respect you when you're not showing love or even compassion or understanding. And if you think about it, that's what God did. God automatically, the first thing he did was show love. That's the first thing he did. And that's the way he, that's the way he extends who he is 
to his people. He shows love. And that's what makes people say, hmm, let me find out about this God that everyone's talking about. When they see the expression of love and compassion and understanding. So these are the points that I want you to take away from everything when you talk about or think about what women should have been or what women are. We're not trying to take away anything that a man is supposed to be doing. We're not trying to take away anything of how God created men to be. But we don't want to be suppressed in the way God created us to be. We don't want to be held back from our God-given abilities that he had placed within us. And I want everyone to remember, Satan will take everything that God has given and distort it to create confusion. And that's what this all comes from. Satan's distortion of God's word. Another important lesson we can take from this story is beware of people who want to tell you what you already know. Now, if you think about it, the serpent approached Eve and was telling her about a tree that she had already been informed about. But yet he was telling her what that, oh, no, God doesn't want you to eat from it because it's going to make you A, B, C, D. But yet he wasn't eating from it. He wasn't going there to eat the fruit, but he was telling her what she should do because God doesn't want her to have whatever. Women, we don't have anything to prove. If you know who you are. And you know that you're a child of the most high God. You're enough. You're enough. You have everything that he wanted you to have because Jesus released everything on the cross. So be who God created you to be. You have nothing to prove to anyone. Only to give God the glory for everything that he's given to you and placed within you. And with that, I think it's time for us to take a music break. You've been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. I've been chasing down a bitch and trying to find a fix, but all that I was missing was you. you can do
place in my life. Yeah, it was you all along. I know I belong. I'm right where I'm lost. Watch for faces, real love, and it took time. Been chilling down the flood of having good times. Running your race, can't get all checked. Don't got a friend when you got my back. Let's go.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is now time for the part of the show that I call Op-Ed. And in today's Op-Ed, of course, you know, I always have a dozen things to talk about in Op-Ed, but I'm only going to talk about, uh, let's say, I'm only going to talk about the ones that... um, I think really need to be discussed. 
Well, they all need to be discussed. Let me not say that. They all need to be discussed. But before I go into that, there's one thing I do want to talk about. And I'm laughing because as I'm recalling it in my mind, I, I, it took all that I could do to not crack up in the people's faces. But that would have been rude because they weren't talking to me. And of course, you know, I don't know if I ever told you the story of um, when I was taking sign language. Some of you probably know that I was taking sign language classes. And now this has nothing to do with the story, but this has a little bit to do with the story that I'm about to tell you. And the reason, and I took sign language classes because I was always fascinated about different languages. I always loved the fact that people could speak another language and it could be spoken to those who understood that language. So when we went to sign language class, I remember the first day, and of course, you know, in any class, when you go into the class, the teacher asks you, oh, you know, what's your name? What's your occupation? Why are you here? You know, what made you decide to take sign language class? So of course, our teacher, they were deaf, so they didn't speak. So they wrote on the board because it's the first day of class. So nobody's going to know if they're signing to us what he's saying. But as where he was read, as we were reading the question, he was signing it. So we would know what that meant. Like, what is your name? Things of that nature. So when he went around the room, everybody was saying why they took it. Oh, well, I'm taking it because um, I have a family member that's deaf. Or some people were saying, oh, I'm a police officer. So when I encounter people that can't hear me, I can sign to them and help them if they need help. And some people were saying, oh, well, you know, I'm a nurse and, you know, some of my patients come in and they're deaf and I can't really communicate with them to find out what's wrong with them. So I like to be able to speak to them. Now, this was all pre-pandemic. I took these classes before the pandemic. So, you know, everybody was open and free and talking. So when it got around to me and the teacher asked, oh, well, you know, why are you here? You know, is there a family member or is for your job? Because by then we had already went through several people. Of course, you know, my answer was no. I said I took sign language because when I see people signing on the train, I wanted to know what they were saying. And I couldn't understand when they were doing the hand movements. And I wanted to know. I'm just nosy like that. And the whole entire class bust out laughing and even the teacher he was so chuckled but he's like that's an honest answer because he says sometimes before he learned how to read lips and he would see people when he was younger he would see their lips moving and he was always wondering what are they saying he says so he understood why I would feel that same way being a hearing person and able to speak that when you see people doing all these gestures and I said yeah and they'd all be standing around in a group so that they could see each other I said, and sometimes they would all just start laughing. You just hear this roar of laughter, although you didn't hear any sound where anybody said anything, they would all start laughing. And I'd always be like, what was the punchline to that joke? Or what was so funny that everybody started laughing, but I couldn't understand it. So I digress. So I say all that to say, if I'm, in a, if I'm on a train or on a bus, and I hear people talking. It's not like I go out of my way to hear what they're saying. So don't think that, oh, I just eavesdrop. But, you know, being a communicator and being on the radio, that's how I pick up different stories or get an understanding of people or get I, I get a feel for people. So here I was minding my business on the bus. And these these parents got on with their children because they're taking them to school. So they happen to stand right on top of me. And I'm like, all the spaces on the bus, you have to stand right on top of me. So, you know, you can't tell people don't stand on top of you. So I'm sitting there 
and I have my glasses on. So with my when I wear my shades, you can't see what I'm looking at or wh- what my eyes are doing. So I'm sitting in, I'm looking forward on the bus, but they're standing on the side of me. So they're talking really loud. So it's not even like they're talking and they're having a conversation amongst, you know, to themselves. They're just talking like, ah, oh, blah, 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 blah. So I, I wasn't the only one on the bus that could hear the conversation. I'm sure people that were sitting in front of me and on the other side, they could hear it as well. So they start talking about this trip to Disney World that he wants to take his daughters on. So the woman who has her sons, she's like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do the Disney World trip yet. It's just so expensive. And then they talk about how the prices have gone up and they've heard that Disney has gone up, which I have heard Disney has gone up tremendously since the pandemic. So they talk, he's like, yeah, but, you know, we want to take them. You know, it's that once in a lifetime trip. You just got to do it. You just got to say, oh, just bite the bullet, spend the $10,000 and go to Disney. So when he said that, my ears perked up. I was like, spend the $10,000 and goes to Disney. Who spends $10,000 to go to Disney? So I was just sitting there. So she's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, yeah, I wish we would have taken them two years ago, you know, or before the pandemic. I think they would have enjoyed it more. But now that they're getting a little older, you know, they might not be as fascinated with it. So she chimes in. Oh, there's this woman that works on my job and she wants to go. She goes to Disney every year and she doesn't have any kids. Just her and her husband, they go to Disney every year. I think that's disgusting. Why would she go to Disney every year? So when she said that, my ears really perked up because I was like, why is that disgusting to you that this woman wants to go to Disney every year with her husband? She's like, I don't get it. What's the fascination with Disney? It's just Mickey Mouse and some other um, characters of Disney with the movies and stuff, but you have to go every year. Oh my gosh. And she comes back and she tells us about her trip all the time. I just hate it when she starts talking about Disney and I'm sitting there and I'm cracking up because I'm like, is it the fact that you don't like that she goes to Disney every year because her and her husband want to just spend the money like that to go to Disney? Or is it that you wish you could take your kids to Disney every year? I was trying to understand what was the, uh, why was she so upset with this one woman that they went to Disney every year and it just annoyed her to no end? So that was just a little chuckle that I had on the, I figured I would share that with you guys. Like some people really get upset when others go to Disney. Now I'll have to admit, I have a sister that loves to go to Florida. I mean, every vacation she wants to go to Florida and not that it upsets me that she wants to go to Florida, but it just got to the point where the rest of us was like, no, we're not going to Florida because we didn't want to go to Florida anymore. But she loves Florida and there's nothing wrong with loving Florida. And she loved Disney, too. Well, she was she just always loved Mickey Mouse, but she just loves Disney as well. But it's not that every time she goes to Florida, she goes to Disney. But if she did go to Disney, it would not be a disappointment to her. But it's not like we're like, oh, my gosh, we hate when she. No, it was just, OK, she wants to go to Florida. She's going by herself because we're not going because we've had enough of Disney. But when I heard this woman say that, I immediately started thinking, I was like, hmm, we have somebody that loves to go to Florida all the time. So I guess that's the thing. Going to Florida to Disney. I don't know. But anyway, getting back to op-ed, I thought that was a little cute little story I wanted to share with you guys. But what's important in op-ed that really, really um, caught my attention this week was the fact that, now when I say this, people, don't think that I'm being, you can think whatever you want. Let me just say it. Hampton University, which is an all-black college, 
And I'm stressing that because of the importance of the story I'm about to tell you. Has offered the students from the Ukraine to continue their studies at the university this summer, free room and board and tuition. Now, I know to most of you, you're probably saying to yourself right now, that's so wonderful. They're extending that to the students of the Ukraine that's coming over here because of all the stuff going on in their country. Yeah, I would think that too. I would think that too. But here I am thinking, you have students that go to your school because like I said it's a produ- it's a historically black college you have students that go to your school that okay if you want to extend free tuition room and board to these new Ukrainians coming over then make it campus wide make it a blanket that you know what this summer everybody's going to have free tuition free room and board because of everything that's going on in Russia we just want to give all our students a fighting chance to get ahead the black students who are taking out loans and can barely pay their tuition to go to your school you're still expecting them to pay they've been the ones that's been paying the whole time anyway let's not forget that but the new The Ukrainian students that are coming over, you want to give them free tuition, room and board. And like I said, that in and of itself is not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't extend the hand and help out those who need to be helped. But A, I don't hear any other colleges extending that. Well, I haven't heard. And if anybody has heard, you can drop me a line at, drop me an email. What would K say at gmail.com? Follow me on Instagram on today. Write me a little story, DM me, whatever. Let me know if other colleges have extended this. And what kind of makes me feel a certain way, and I tell you when things happen and it makes it personal to me, because when I saw the way they were treating those Africans that were students in their country when they were trying to get out and save their lives, that's what gets me a little annoyed. Not that I'm saying and you should return in kind. I'm not saying that at all because I thought that what they were doing on that side was atrocious. And I, and I condemned that. And I said, how dare you? Everybody wants to live. You don't treat them any differently than you would treat anybody else that wants to get out of a country that's being war torn. Right. But what I am saying is and this is more at Hampton. Why would you why would you? If you're the first one to stick your nose out to extend that olive branch to say, here, come here, we want to help you. Why would you? And you have your own students that are struggling to try to get ahead, to try to do better in their life in a system that is already systemically set up against them. And that's the point I'm making. When people extend olive branches or want to be compassionate, I'm not saying that you shouldn't because I'm all for the compassion. I'm all in God is love. God is giving. But God is a God of justice as well. And I'm not saying that we should reign justice because vengeance is his. He said it. Vengeance is his. But I say, why do you have to be the first to jump out? Does that, are you doing it because 
you think it's going to make you look a certain way? Are you doing it because I don't know what you're doing it for? I just say if you're going to give free tuition and room and board, do it across the board to all the students. Don't just single out because now you're creating tension on campus. See, you're creating a situation that could be avoided. And I'm just saying it from human nature because I know if I was a student going in, I'm struggling to pay, and then I see these people are coming in free, and I'm like, what gives? What gives? And that's all I'm saying. When Hampton made that decision, they should have looked at it for all, not just for some. And that's what's been the problem in the world here in America. It's always for the some and not the all. And I just want people to think about that. And that ends op-ed. We're going to continue with our word for this month because, like I said, March is a month that just doesn't want to leave. And our word for this month was acuity. So we're going to stick with that word. We'll have a new word come next month. And our promise for this week is going to come from Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And with that, I say, have a wonderful day. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy March Madness as it's still going on and everybody's advancing. It's exciting. I think people are more excited about this than they were about the Super Bowl. But enjoy. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. COVID is still out there, so wear your mask, wash your hands, continue to social distance, and until we come together again next week, God willing, peace.